The following is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Well, welcome to Life as a Life Schooler, where we talk about how to merge life with homeschooling. I'm Danielle Papa Giorgio, and my co-host Christy Deason will actually not be joining us today. But today we're talking to Kevin Swanson, who runs the Generations Ministry in Elizabeth, Colorado. Kevin Swanson was homeschooled by his parents in the 1960s and 70s. For the last 22 years, Kevin and his wife Brenda have home-educated their own five children. The Swanson family produces multiple podcasts, news programs, and published books, not to mention dog breeding and other exciting projects that keeps the home humming every day. Kevin has written extensively on family economy, mentorship, real-life school application, and Christian worldview. Kevin has mentored 10 to 12 young men over the last 12 years out on their property in the eastern plains of Colorado. So welcome, Kevin. It's great to be with you, Danielle. Well, we're super excited to have you on, and I had the privilege, actually, of visiting you last week and being on your podcast, and it was just um, really a fun time. I really enjoyed that a lot. You know, it's great. It's, it's, it's good to, to you know, connect on, on common topics and, uh, and share on the issue of life schooling. I, I love it. I think we've been rediscovering this thing uh, ourselves and our family for the last 25 years of homeschooling, so it's been great. It's been a great adventure, and to share notes was, was wonderful. Yes, it really was. Really enjoyed it, and enjoyed talking to your wife, Brenda, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, few people have had the privilege that you have had to be involved in the homeschooling movement as long as you have, so I kind of consider you one of the foremost experts on the movement. I think you've kind of earned that through your, your years. But tell us and our listeners how you came to be a homeschooler back in the 60s and 70s. Well, you know, I think my dad was always a pioneering type. Uh, You know, he had a a sense that uh, he wanted to bring his kids home. He wanted uh, to, to bring in a Christian worldview. That was important to my dad back in the 1960s. He began to see evolution creeping into the public schools. He was a public school teacher himself, so his mom. And they, they just thought, hey, maybe we can give him a Christian worldview. And also concerned a little bit about the breakdown of teen relationships with their parents. Uh, so much less involvement of uh, parents in their teens' lives in the 1950s, 1960s. My dad just wanted to reverse those trends a little bit and uh, and bring us home. So they decided to homeschool us in, I think it was 1969. Hmm. And uh, actually, technically, my mother was teaching me to read as early as 1968 in Portland, Oregon. So so if you, if you anybody wants an official beginning for the modern homeschool movement, at least in my life, it would have been in 1968. Huh. Wow, that's, that's really awesome. And I think it's interesting that the background of your parents was public schooling. So they understood really um, a lot of those dangers and and uh, issues that were starting to creep up in the public school. Well, you know, um, they were just stepping out in faith and doing this. And to a great extent, they did bring the public school model home and effectively mm-hmm. repeated it, although with some, you know, Christian influence there in the home. But... Uh, but then, you know, as, as I continued with this vision in the 1980s, 1990s, and then 2000s, and I wrote the book Upgrade, The Ten Secrets to the Best Education for Your Child, which I shared with you when you were out here, mm-hmm. but I gave a copy of that to my mother, who still grades 
all my work, of course, <laughs> after all these years. She she uh, she reads my stuff. And she read Upgrade the Ten Secrets. She said, "I love this. I, I love what you're what you're doing. How you're reinterpreting uh, education and uh, and reinventing it in some senses." Um, she said, "I wish we had done this with you. You know, <laughs> so, like, this this is really what we should have been doing in the 1960s, 1970s." I told her, "Mom, you know, I would not have been able to see this. I would not have captured this vision if I had not been." standing on your shoulders. So right. I think it's so important for parents just to launch out in faith and and engage at the, at the level that they know that God is calling them to do. But uh, but then, you know, as the generations go on, I think we're going to see more of a Copernican revolution in the area of education, discipleship, and mentorship. Right, absolutely. And, and you're so right about that faith aspect. That's something that we talk about a lot with, with life schooling. And I think, too, you're right about we do what we know and so I can totally understand your parents being public school teachers I think teachers have the hardest time to kind of switch out of that mode because they've been so trained it's been ingrained into them and they're doing what they know but of course you know you still had a huge advantage being at home and and um, just having those family relationships and the daily um, you know walk, while you walk while you sit while you talk um, and, and I think my dad had, was, was clearly a, an out-of-the-box kind of thinker, again, a pioneer. If he had been living in the 19th century, he would have been on the first wagon train, the first wagon of the first wagon train west, you know, <laughs> it just that, he was that kind of a guy. Right. And so, you know, even, even when he was homeschooling us, he was teaching us things that we wouldn't ordinarily have learned in the in the public schools. He was putting uh-huh. together his own classes and things like um, carpentry and uh, home repair, things like that. He just he was incorporating us into his family economy as best as he could when we were on the mission field in Japan. Right, right. That's awesome. Well, um, and you mentioned your book, Upgrade, which I absolutely love. You gave me a copy, and I just devoured it on the flight home. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think I have about, I, I sort of slowed down when I got back. You know, the conference planning and everything has, has re-overtaken my life. But I really, really, I agree with your parents, <laughs> because it's a great book. And I love how you just very succinctly break it down into these 10 principles. And I found it funny. I It really struck me how similar our perspectives are with the principles of preeminence of character, the life integration, rooting education in relationships, and of course that principle of individuality. Um, <laughs> because, you know, our definition, which is <laughs> kind of funny, I thought, well, I'm going to say the definition on the show today because I totally goofed it on your show it's like it's such a big long definition i can't ever remember it but it's the individualized process of discovering your child's god-given gifts and talents through real life experiences that happen within the context and again that has to do with relationships of your family's unique situations and missions so right there you've got a lot of those same principles um and and so i found that that very interesting that we had a lot of similarities there it's, it's funny Danielle, when when i read your definition i thought she's read that book <laughs> <laughs> she goes, well I, I i think what happens is we've all read the same book if you know what i'm saying exactly <laughs> we, exactly we've read that and applied it uh into the way we're trying to disciple our kids exactly and it's hard to do that i think um 
you know, to really get back to what does the Bible say in every area of our lives, including education, you know, we're so influenced. This system is so pervasive in our culture and it's so influential in our culture. But when you really strip things away and you get back to what does the Bible really say about families, about children, about relationships, you just naturally come to the same conclusions. And this is just proof of that. Yeah. And I think what you see in Deuteronomy 6 7 is you teach your children God's word as you sit in the house, as you walk by the way, as you rise up, as you lie down. It feels very life integrated. You know, it right. doesn't feel like, okay, you just do this when they sit in a classroom, somebody's got to stand in front of a whiteboard, mm-hmm. and you sit there and you lecture all day long to these kids. You don't get that sense. You get the sense of relationship. You get the sense of life integration. You get the sense of individuality. Uh, you know, certainly throughout the word of God, um, you're getting a different sense. That you get from John Jacques Rousseau, John Dewey, and the guys who put together the massively centralized, standardized system that comes out of socialist governments. Exactly. And I think that's why, to a lot of Christians, they don't even see it. It's like, well, the Bible doesn't really talk about education. <laughs> well, it does. It just doesn't talk about it in any sort of way that we've come to think of education. It's, I... it's completely I... different. And. And so, you know, everything, the Bible, there's a verse, um, I'm sure you know it, and I'm horrible with references, but, but um, God has, the Bible has given us all things for, for life and godliness, um, mm-hmm. something to that effect. You know, everything that we need is there in the Bible, including sort of direction for the area of education. So... Absolutely. Absolutely. All scripture is given by inspiration of God to equip the man of God for every good work. So God's word is there. Funny, one time I was uh, at a conference. I'd done these uh, Bible study guides in the book of Proverbs. And uh, and a little kid, like eight or nine years of age, comes up to me and says, uh, you know, Mr. Swanson, I'm just really appreciative of, of your study guides on the book of Proverbs. I just didn't realize that the Bible was that useful. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was like, well, yeah, you know, it's not just pine the sky by and by. It's, it gives yeah. us equipment for the man of God, you know, and every good work. And the book of Proverbs, of course, a very, very big part of, of my theory on education. Only reason is because it is God's book on giving knowledge, wisdom, and understanding to a young man or a young woman. So if God has taken the time to dedicate an entire book to that subject, you know, I, I thought maybe that would take a little extra time and you know create some curriculum around the entire book. And so that's why we did the three-part series, the three-volume series on the book of Proverbs for our Bible study guide series. And we also have a little workbook we uh, put with it for uh, 10 or 11 or 12-year-olds. But yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, I think the book of Proverbs is eminently practical. There's always this life-integrating element or this character development element. It's not just all about geography and geometry. And that's the thing that shocks most people. Like, oh, this is God's curriculum, where's the Pythagorean theorem, you know, where, where is the A squared plus B squared plus C squared, where is that in God's curriculum, you know, why did he miss that? And of course the answer is obvious, it wasn't that important, he just was trying to boil it all down to 31 chapters, and uh, and this is, this is the core curriculum, and it gives us so much in terms of character development, gives us so much in terms of life integration, and I just wish that, uh, you know, Christian parents would, or any parent, would just pick up the Word of God and uh, find the book of Proverbs and start to share this with their kids. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's something I'm going to have to look into that curriculum because I, 
I have, I was telling my mom the other day, I'm like stuck in Proverbs in a good way. I can't get out of there. Like I read a chapter every day and I've been doing this months and months now. And I just, it's so rich and there's so much there. The depth is just, it's amazing how you can read the same verses and all of a sudden it's like, where'd that come from? How'd that get in there? I've been reading this over and over and I didn't see it before. Or yeah. It's just as relevant today as it was 3,000 years ago, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's God's curriculum. And, and people say, well, you know, it looks like the socioeconomic systems are doing very well right now. Uh, what happens when everything crashes, et cetera, et cetera? I always say, well, just give your kids the book of Proverbs. It'll be fine. <laughs> things will go well. They can rebuild their family economies. And things will go well if we be sure that we're rooting and grounding our kids on the foundations of the wisdom and knowledge that God has given in his word. And we mm-hmm. find that in the book of Proverbs. Yeah, that's pretty good advice. (laughs) Let's talk about real life experience, since that's one of the key components of life schooling. So how did this play out in your own family, and what positive and even negative results have you seen in your family with this, um, you know, incorporating the real life experience? Well, I, you know, I think you have to do it by faith. Uh, yeah. My wife has always been a little nervous uh, around me, uh, <laughs> especially when it comes to education. And, you know, she, she had the impression that we were just going to take the public school model and we incorporate it into our kids. And yet I felt that uh, God was leading us through his word and by all these principles to, to revive the principle of life integration. And the principle of life integration effectively says it's not all about getting your kids graduated, having all these facts stuffed in their minds such that they can graduate at 15 or 16 years of age and make it into Harvard University as one of the uh, youngest freshmen. I realize that's a theory of home education as some tout, but I don't. Uh, I believe that we ought to take the time, and I know it takes time, to bring in a family economy and bring in application so that our kids are not completely irrelevant to life by the time they graduate from college after 18 years of being stuck on an island of education where there was no life integration into you know real life, like family life, uh, relationships, uh, family economy, uh, making money, entrepreneurship, and, uh, and ministry. I wanted to be sure that my kids were incorporated into that. So, you know, at, uh, my son was at 10 or 11 years of age. I took him under my wing and effectively homeschooled him. It was always a little chaotic, I have to say, because, you know, I was always busy traveling the country, uh, speaking on home education topics and such. Uh, but my son was right there with me as early as 11 years of age. He was traveling with me and selling the materials. I told him I'd give him 10% of everything he sold. I remember in, in uh he was out in Fort Worth, Texas, and I didn't see him for two days, and he walked away with something like $1,500 of sales. I peeled off $150 and gave it to him. He looked up at me and said, Dad, I love to sell. <laughs> and was, so I knew from then on I, I, I had a salesman to travel with me. So he traveled with me for five to six to seven years and uh, and did very, very well and learned a lot and uh, picked up on a lot of mentorships along the way as well with others. And mentorship is very big for me. Now my son is working as a software engineer who never got a college degree but uh, he's got a good income and uh, I, I think he's eventually going to work his way into more entrepreneurship in the uh, in the tech business so we'll see you know how, how, how things work out I think a big question people ask is well are you achieving success 
Well, again, what is success? Uh, you know, my son is interested in ministry, works in ministry, and rest homes uh, bringing the Word of God to elderly people on a weekly basis. He works as a software engineer. Uh, he's got a lot of friendships. His friendships are important and cultivates his friendships. Uh, my, my daughters are largely involved in family economy as well. Uh, all of them except one has graduated from high school. Uh, but, you know, uh, only a couple of them have taken college classes. One of them is about to get her associate's degree in uh, veterinarian uh, te technology. And so, you know, what is success? I think ultimate success right. is uh, glorifying God, worshiping God, developing family relationships, certainly not abandoning the, the concept of family, retaining the idea of relationships and family. is ever so important, of course, in this world. Uh, People have very shallow friendships, and their family relationships are very, very weak. Um, so that's, you know, that's not success. I think retaining uh, family relationships, uh, ministry involvement in the church, absolutely important, um, and, and being sure that you're prepared for God's calling on your life in the economic sense, that you're able to uh, make a decent income in the area of a calling that God has placed on your life. Now, family economy is a very, very big part of what we're about. Uh, we, we want to be sure that uh, you know we've got lots of different aspects of the family economy running at the same time. Uh, that may mean that some work outside of the home, some work inside of the home, some of it's entrepreneurial, some of it's not entrepreneurial, mm -hmm. some of it's contractual, some of it's not contractual labor. But uh, you know we just want to make sure that our children are life relevant. They're able to do things. The other thing I think that's important is that our children are ready to operate when the lights go out. You know another very important element of modern life. I think, is that we can't be entirely dependent upon the systems around us. We should right. be able to function even if the lights go out. My father likes to tell me, he's 81 years of age, and he heats his house with uh, wood and so forth. He's very much self-reliant, always has been. But he's, he's concerned that when the lights go out, and someday they may, and I think they will, there will be times of... of uh, uh, trauma and tragedy, and these things always hit our cities every, you know, 40, 50 years, 100 years or so. Mm -hmm. uh, when lights go out, uh, he says a lot of people are just going to starve to death uh, within about two weeks. Yeah. And he doesn't, he doesn't want that happening with us, and we certainly don't want that happening with our children. So we take our children uh, hunting as well. Almost every one of our daughters has, has hunted uh, deer or elk, and uh, we've been able to take down, you know, two or 300 pounds of uh, meat at one time. And uh, prepared it for prepared. We always prepared ourselves and uh, package it and freeze it and uh, prepare it for our, our meals. So there's just a lot of different aspects to our family economy. I think it's very very important for people to realize that your family life is not all about education. Education is only an aspect of your family economy. The family economy is the bigger picture. Yes, education makes up you know, 20 or 30 percent of it. But there has to be more going on in your family economy than just textbooks. Right. Absolutely, and and I think it's interesting you make that point too about just learning to be self-sufficient, learning how to exist outside of the system, and I think it's kind of a natural fit for a lot of homeschoolers because we're already doing that in the realm of, of academics, and so why not bring that in with with um, with other things, Tr learning to live outside of these systems because we need to be able to, like you said, function if something happens and and it's bound to, um, you know, I don't think it's good to be dependent on others to that point. 
Well, and, and I think it's, it's preparing the children to be a little bit more forward in understanding of right. how things work. They need to understand where food comes from. They need to understand something about the value of heat, and right. that helps when we you know, cut up wood and, and split it and burn it in our fireplace. You want to be sure that your children can, at the very, very, very least, uh, provide for their own heat, provide for their own food, uh, you know, garden and so forth. I, I think at mm -hmm. the very least they should know where these things come from. If all they know is that these, you know, everything comes from Safeway or everything comes from these gigantic corporations, uh, they, they lose a sense of the value of it first. Right. And then they also lose a sense of, of you know, the bigger picture of, of life. Right. And uh, so anyway, yeah, I think our children actually are very happy with the way that we have we have chosen to uh, to go in terms of their education. We don't. We just want to be sure that it's not all about meaningless, purposeless bookwork, where they have no idea why they're doing the math because there's never been any application of math in their lives. We want to be sure that their education is intensely relevant from the very beginning. So every single year, from the first grade to the twelfth grade, every year is very, very relevant. They know why they're doing what they're doing because they're applying it in real life. And you don't get that when you put your children into a sterile environment called a school and you leave them there for 12 years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it is really interesting to see the link between doing things in a real-life context and, and then how that information, that knowledge sticks in their brains. And I know I shared, shared that with you on your program about my son who was really into computer coding. We had a couple years when we were moving, we, we were in transition, and there was just a lot going on. And so we essentially took a bit of an unschooling type of a route um, and allowed the kids to, and I, I don't really like that term, but, um, but I think most people know what I'm talking about, where we allowed them to really pursue their interests um, just full force, and we didn't have a lot of the uh, strict curriculum at that time. And it was amazing to see my son learn. He's probably just about on par with my husband now from a um, computer coding technical standpoint because he's had so many hours of dedicated focus. And then it was really funny um, when we went back to the curriculum, he said, oh, well, I already know algebra <laughs> because I've been doing all of this naturally with coding. And so, and you know, I think he, I mean, he does, does great in his math testing and that sort of thing, but it's just very interesting to see that link. And I think if people understood that more, there wouldn't be so much of that fear of really allowing your children to, to find what they're gifted in and, and pursue that because the academics come, they really do. There's such a connection between the hearing of the word and the doing of the word. And I think this is where right. the principle comes. God gives us a, a real theory of knowledge in James 1 when he says, if somebody's a hearer but not a doer of the word, hmm. it's like a man who observes himself in a mirror but straightway remember, forgets what manner of man he was. Uh, in other words, it, the, the knowledge becomes extremely transient and extremely useless if right. it's never applied. And that doesn't just apply to the guy sitting, you know, listening to the sermon on a Sunday morning and he never applies the sermon. That applies to, to any subject. That applies to any form of knowledge. Right. If, if we just retain a few facts but never actually use those facts for anything, 
they're pretty much useless and they will be forgotten. I think for that reason, about 99% of education is useless. Yeah. Um, it's babysitting. I mean, obviously, you know, people need somebody to babysit their kids for 12 or 16 years if they're, if they're working. Uh, but, uh, but I think education needs to be something besides babysitting. We need to get to the point at which our children are learning about one half GT squared in a physics class, but then they begin to understand that one half GT squared has to be applied, and this is where it applies. And as they apply it now, I mean, they apply it in real life, not just the laboratory. They have to apply it in real life. When they apply it in real life, and they begin to make money, and based upon what they've done in real life, now they begin to see the usefulness of it, and now they really, truly retain the knowledge they received in the book. Right, right. That's a great, um, you mentioned that passage. That's, that's a really appropriate passage for exactly what we're talking about. So, and, and I want to talk, too, about the Launch Your Life program, because that goes right along with what we're talking about, allowing... Um, you know, uh, teens to start to explore some of these things in real life context. So tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. Our young people need to merge into real life. They have to merge into the macro economy. And, and sadly, right now, we're living in the absolute worst time in all of, of human history in terms of the, uh, the, the incorporation of youth into the workplace. And that's true in Portugal. That's true in Spain, Italy, America. The youth unemployment rates are uh, three to four times what they were in the 1970s. And uh, you'll find that in the Wall Street Journal, all of the leading newspapers and magazines. Are, are sounding the alarm, that uh, our, our young people are in very sad shape. The millennial generation is typically seen as the laziest generation ever, the most narcissistic generation, the unluckiest generation, beginning with the less, least capital of any generation in, in recent history. So, uh, so the millennial generation absolutely is in desperate need, absolutely in desperate need of some means by which they can merge into the macro economy and, and do so successfully. The only way that I can see us by uh, reviving the concept of mentorship, and it really ties everything together with what, what we've been talking about. And what we're trying to do is, is, is take the principles we've learned from schooling over the last 30 years and apply it to the 17 to 24-year-old crowd. Uh, we do not want to abandon the principles that God has given to us. These are powerful principles, they're life-changing principles that I think will, uh, will salvage the entire macro economy, at least uh, for our children. Um, so we want to be sure that our young people are absolutely equipped uh, with this idea of mentorship. Now, the Kickstart program is simply a mentorship program on mentorship. So it helps you to understand uh, how to become a good apprentice and how to seek out good mentorships and what those mentorships look like and how to maximize the impact of that mentorship in your life. You, you can get a job at Subway for eight bucks an hour and never be mentored into anything and, and really not learn very much of anything about life, about, uh, about work, about marketing, about retail or anything like that. Uh, but you can take an eight buck an hour job and turn it into a powerful mentorship that will be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars in your future. Now, how do you do that? How do you intelligently take an eight buck an hour job at Subway and maximize the impact of that on your life? That's why we put together Kickstart Launch Your Life. It's a it's a it's a video series, twenty nine training sessions on four DVDs plus a workbook. Well, it looks like a great program, and it's something I um, need to check into for my own kids because it's they're getting to that age where 
we need to start doing these types of things. But I understand, too, that it was created by one of your protégés um, in it's, your intern program. Yes, Danny Craig, absolutely. We've been mentoring as part of our ministry, our Generations Ministry now, for about 12 years. And uh, what we do is we typically bring the mentors into our basement. We have a very large house, as you've been here. Uh -huh. And uh, we work with a small group, and we want to continue to work with them. And if, if some are interested in our mentorship, discipleship programs, just uh, just contact us through our website, generations.org. But we believe mentorship is the future. Now, I'm not saying college is not the future. I think three things required, uh, as I see it, three things required to prepare a young person for life. Number one, books. You've got to have books. If you're going to become yes. a plumber, you're going to need three books. If you're going to become a pastor, you're going to have to get about 300 books. It's just a <laughs> difference in quantity is all it is. Um, but you're going to need books. And sometimes you can pick up those books through brick and mortar colleges, sometimes online colleges. But one way or the other, you're going to have to get some books. Uh, so books is one, but there are two other legs of the stool. There's three legs to the stool for the preparation of a young person for life. The first is books. The second is is life, life integration, exactly what we've been talking about here. You absolutely need some kind of a mentorship, some kind of a life integrating element uh, as you work through those college years. You've got to be sure that uh, you are life integrating into real life the things that you're learning. Um, and uh, the other aspect is a spiritual aspect, and that is worship and, uh, and accountability. We, we think there needs to be some kind of spiritual development and accountability going on uh, while at the same time you're taking the books and learning how to life apply those things. So uh, basically the three legs to the stool for any young person is uh, books, life integration, and worship. Those are the three elements that need to be uh, cultivated along the way. And of course college will give you books, but they won't life integrate, and then for the most part they won't hold you spiritually accountable. So, you know, those are the three legs of the stool, and every young person needs to be sure that all three legs are growing at the same length as they're working and preparing for life. Right. Absolutely. That's great. Um, so tell us then where we can find your materials, your curriculum, and, um, and so our listeners can know how to listen to your daily radio show. Well, you know, it's generations.org is our website, and uh, we, we've got various curriculum and, uh, you know, the Kickstart program, as well as uh, the, the book, Upgrade the Ten Secrets to the Best Education for Your Child. Uh, but I think what we're really trying to do, Daniil, is to bring a little bit of a Copernican revolution into the area of education as best as we can. Now, we also are really encouraging people to incorporate Christian education, a Christian world life view, into the history and the science and the various other aspects of the children's education. So that's really been the thrust of our program. Now, we also uh, bring in some things on culture as well. We want to be sure that young people are careful in terms of their handling of modern pop culture. I think that's the other aspect. If, if they build family economies, if they're active family economies and kids are working and they're making money and they're finding God's calling on their life, then the the, the culture, the entertainment aspect the, that, that, that drags them down and, and wastes their time and sometimes ruins their perspectives is not, not, not so much an issue. But those are the sorts of things we talk about on our radio program. We address culture, education, worldview, those sorts of things on my radio program. It's a daily radio program available at generations.org. 
Well, and I'll tell you too, I've started um, just this week, I thought, you know, we really need to use this as part of our curriculum, so to speak. Um, so we've been turning it on during breakfast. The kids listen. Um, I love the worldview in five minutes because mm -hmm. I do not like watching news or mainly watching music. It's so, you know, there's something different about reading it or in, in this case, hearing it through a biblical worldview. It's just so refreshing and I get the bullet points. I don't need to get bogged down in the muck and mire. So we've really mm -hmm. enjoyed starting to do that recently and then discussing things together. You know, a lot of homeschoolers are using the worldview in five minutes. I hear those reports all the time. We've probably got three to 4,000 families listening on a regular basis now to worldview in five minutes. It just basically wow. takes the entire world, wraps it into a five-minute portion, and then applies some biblical verses reminding people that God's still in control, God's still in charge. And, um, you know, I think it's been encouraging to lots and lots of families out there. So, yeah, we'd invite people to to the website. Uh, you can listen to my radio program or the Worldview in Five Minutes. Uh, one of my, uh, two or three of my daughters are actually involved in, in the technical aspects of putting these programs together. So this is all That's part great. of our family economy. So anytime you check out generations.org, you're supporting the, the Swanson family homeschool economy. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, again, one of our principles of life schooling, too, is that, you know, having the children involved with the family ministry and what God has called all of us to. So that's that's really great. Big well, time. I just want to encourage our listeners to go to lifeschoolingconference.com and take a look at the speakers that we're going to have for you in a couple weeks at the Life Schooling Conference, Kevin Swanson being one of them. Um, we are super excited about bringing this to you all. Um, I just really believe that conferences are such a good thing for anyone to be involved with. We should always be educating ourselves. And it's not just about the education. I get really discouraged to see things changing nowadays with so much happening online because you don't get the personal interaction and those relationships, which again, we're talking about that a lot with the life schooling concept. So you need those relationships. You need to build those connections. And I would just really encourage my listeners to go to lifeschoolingconference.com and sign up for your tickets and be sure to come and hear Kevin again because he's a great man of God. He has a lot of wisdom and we look forward to having you with us, Kevin. Uh, we're looking forward to the conference too, Danielle. May God bless the preparations. I hope a lot of people come out to the conference this year. I do too. Thank you very much. Well, we're going to wrap up for today. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Life as a Life Schooler. We'll catch you next time. 